This is Vanderbilt Business, a podcast about the students, faculty, and staff at Vanderbilt's Owen Graduate School of Management. David Zinsner is a 1996 graduate of Owen. The finance concentrator has spent much of his career at the top of large organizations serving as a chief financial officer, first at Entersil Corporation and later at Analog Devices, a Fortune 500 semiconductor manufacturer. In April, David moved to Affirm Networks, a venture-backed mobile network solutions provider based out of Massachusetts to serve as the company's president and COO. I talked with David about his recent move, the difference between the CFO and COO designations, and his time at Owen. So I'm here today with David Zinsner. David, thank you so much for joining me. Welcome. Let's get right into it. Can you talk about the path of your career advancement since you graduated from Owen? Yeah, sure. Uh, Harris Corporation uh, recruited at Owen, I think, in a year uh, into their treasury department. And uh, for the 1996 year, I was the lucky recipient of an offer uh, from Harris. I went to Harris in, in treasury and spent two years there. And then the treasurer at the time convinced me that I needed to go out and get an operating role. So I went out and worked as a international finance manager at one of the divisions. Uh, essentially, I was helping offload uh, debt from the balance sheet of Harris uh, for equipment that was sold to customers that really couldn't afford it. Um, and I did that for about a year. And then got my lucky break, really. Uh, Harris was going through a strategic uh, analysis of a company. It was comprised of four pretty different businesses. And they decided that uh, one of the businesses should be sold off. They sold it to a venture capital private equity firm. And uh, I wasn't actually part of that. But uh, when, uh, when it happened, they were looking for somebody to take the treasurer role. And it was a kind of a high-risk uh uh, role since uh, the business could have gone under, quite honestly. Uh, but I decided to take it, uh, and that ended up being the best decision of my career. I became treasurer of that company, and then within a year, really became the number two finance person uh, at that company, which was Intersil. And uh, we took the company public. We went through a whole bunch of different uh, transactions to kind of reposition the company in the semiconductor space. And after doing that for, I think, about six or seven years, uh, which was just the right amount of time. Again, another lucky circumstance. The CFO ended up retiring, and they decided to promote me to CFO of that company. Uh, and then I was CFO for that with that uh, company for about four years, doing a lot of you know kind of what I was doing as the number two guy, really. Uh, and then uh, Analog Devices, which is a large uh, semiconductor company, or is a large semiconductor company on the East Coast, they had their CFO retire, and. They were looking for somebody, I think, that had a, you know, a lot of acquisition experience and stuff that I was doing at Intersil, and uh, you know, kind of a strategic thinker from a finance perspective. And so I got lucky enough to get that role, and that took me into the, the current role. Your role right now, it's, it's Chief Operating Officer and President. Uh, how is that different from the CFO designation, where clearly had a lot of experience? And what CFO experiences might translate into your role now? Well, I think it somewhat depends on, you know, kind of how you classify the CFO. Because I do think that different companies look for, at their CFO to do different things. Some are very kind of more traditional finance experts. They're very, uh, you know, kind of, you know, they're, they're very well kind of entrenched in the accounting and tax and so forth. And then there's another group that is more 
uh, you know, kind of strategic finance, financial operations, and generally they'll have like an accounting expert that works for them. And so really at ADI, that's what I had. I literally had a chief accounting officer that did almost all the you know, kind of nuts and bolts accounting and tax, which really left me uh, responsible for mostly things around how to strategically position the company, uh, what uh, investments we should make, what acquisitions we should make, uh, how we should manage the balance sheet, and then really being the primary spokesman to Wall Street. And so from that perspective, it had a very COO-like feel to it, quite honestly. So, you know, I think when companies are looking for COOs, it isn't always the obvious choice to make the CFO the COO. And, and even in this company, I had to kind of show them why my experience as a CFO was actually pretty close to what they were looking for from a COO at a firm. Uh, you know, probably the only big difference coming into this role versus the CFO role was I have to now manage engineering directly. You know, when I was a CFO, I influenced engineering, and I might, you know, hey, you know, I think we should invest here and not invest as much here. Uh, but now I'm the COO, I really have to have to make those calls, and i got to be responsible for those calls, and they got to be the right ones. So there's a little bit more pressure on the decisions around things that, uh, you know, the things that we do from a, from a capital allocation perspective. Talking about that more, you have worked for some extremely technical companies, semiconductors, and now mobile cloud content is maybe a way to yeah. describe it. So yeah. what level of technical literacy or expertise is required to thrive and grow in these kind of organizations um, to the levels that you've reached? Yeah, so just to be clear, uh, my undergrad was in business. <laughs> so I did not have a technical <laughs> undergraduate uh, degree. And, you know, when you're in a semiconductor space, it's heavy electrical engineering skills. And in, and in this space, it's mainly, you know, computer science software skills. And so, you know, that, that obviously is the hurdle, you know, the biggest hurdle that I have to overcome and that I really have been trying, you know, attempting to overcome since I started at Inico. Um, you know, I, I think the way I've approached it mainly is since I probably will never, you know, be great, a great electrical engineer or a great software engineer is to get uh, these technical folks to explain things in basic terms, um, you know, to me. And so I kind of like force them into a, I don't get it, I'm not quite sure. And as it turns out, a lot of times with, with engineers, they don't really understand what they're saying most of the time either. And so you kind of, like, when you force them to have to explain it in a very basic way, they actually, you know, the, 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 the fallacies, the, the, the things that you can do to improve what's going on, they, all, they just kind of pop up. You know? <laughs> they almost explain it for themselves. Um, and so in some ways, well, you know, I probably, you know, have to rely a lot, you know, on maybe technical visionaries, you know, on the strategic side sometimes. I think in the basic operational activity, it's actually fairly intuitive, regardless of whether you have a technical background or not. And, and I found sometimes it's been a, it's almost been an advantage because, you know, I've forced these things to get down to its simplest elements, you know, to be able to, you know, improve a process or reduce cost or make an investment somewhere. Um, and so, again, I kind of think about now in the, you know, with investors, it can be challenging because, you know, sometimes when, uh, when I was the CFO of ADI, you know, this is, there's 34 research analysts, I think, covering ADI, like probably half of them are technical electrical engineers. A lot of them have worked in industry before. 
Uh, and so that can be challenging. So, you know, over time I just kind of learned, you know, what was going on that, that was really important to them and, and was able to, uh, you know, provide, provide the information they were looking for. And, if, you know, if it came to a point where I, it was just completely over in my head, I'd stop them and say, look, i got to go back or i got to, you know, i got to move in somebody that knows this better than I do. And, and, you know, they were fine with it. It worked out well. Analog Devices is obviously a very large Fortune 500 company. Affirm Networks is a little bit smaller, private. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What compelled you to make that switch? And, and what does that feel like to go from a company that's so large to, to one that's uh, a little smaller? Yeah, I mean, it's a big difference. I mean, to put it in perspective, uh, ADI is a $5 billion in revenue company. We, uh, we had, uh, when I left, over 15,000 employees. You know, our engineering budget was a billion dollars. <laughs> you know, this company uh, affirms is about a hundred million dollars, uh, plus or minus, and um, 400 employees, um, a much smaller engineering budget. Uh, so it's it's a different in a lot of ways from a scale perspective, and it's a startup too. So it's you know every dollar matters. EI generated you know billion five. Billion eight a year in free cash flow. This one isn't generating free cash flow, so it's a whole different mindset in terms of you. You know, you buy a desk at ADI in a heartbeat, right? You, you got to really think about whether you you want to buy another pen here, you know, because it means you know another you know a dollar less going to uh, you know to engineering. So that in and of itself is different. But the reason I decided to do it was because I really wanted to go to a place that had a totally different growth dynamic. And the thing about ADI is it's so established, the cash flow just keeps generating every year. And they, they haven't had an unprofitable year since 1967, I think. Wow. And, uh, and so the challenges of coming into a company that aren't profitable to start with, but have a lot of growth in front of it, if you can execute, it, we're trying to disrupt the market. Uh, this, is a, this is a market that's, served by the likes of Cisco and Huawei and Nokia in hardware, and we're trying to do that same thing in software. And it's, it's an entirely disruptive technology that could be really exciting. I mean, it could, you know, could have challenges along the way, there's no doubt about it. When you're competing against Huawei, you know, that's a tough, that's a tough act. But if we can be successful, it's going to be an unbelievable story. So I just thought, you know, after, what was it, 12 years or so of being a CFO of an established semiconductor company, the opportunity to, A, go to the scale role, B, go to this, like, high-growth, disruptive technology kind of company, get into a space in the mobile network space that's you know, quite a bit different than, uh, than the semiconductor space. Uh, it's software as opposed to hardware. So there were all these, like, differences. And I think, you know, getting back to your first question, which was how, how did you kind of progress? I, I feel progressed because I said, well, that's an interesting challenge. And, you know, that's something that I could learn a lot from rather than, you know, really picking through you know, every step to see if I could make the most money or something like that. And I think it's, at the end of the day, it's served me better. You know, it's, it's made me a more well-rounded executive. It's, it's kind of expanded my kind of, my dimensions and, you know, my intellectual capability to a point where I think I add value in a lot of different ways. And so, but anyway, so this was just one more opportunity to do that. And if all goes well, it's an opportunity to hopefully take a company public and, and uh, really make, make something of, of a pretty interesting technology. 
looking back on your career to this point, what advice do you have for MBA students that are interested in the world of tech? And what can they do during their school years to set themselves up for success? Well, I think, first of all, just general advice is I think it almost doesn't matter. You know, I, I would not get myself too wound up as to which company I went for, <laughs> quite honestly, early on. You know, I'm sure most students, you know, would love to work at Amazon or Facebook or Google or, you know, one of those kind of name brand uh, companies. And you know, there was a different set of name brand companies back when I was going to school, but it was the same, you know, same basic philosophy. Uh, I, I don't know that that's necessarily the most important thing. Um, I think it's get into a place where you think you can grow, where you think you can learn, where where you think that it's a good stepping stone. And, I, and, and again, I almost... I wouldn't worry about the money either. When I went to Harris, it was not certainly not the highest offer that I had, and it, Harris was not particularly well known in anywhere outside of the defense business. And so, you know, in some ways, it looked like a loser. But opportunity was really good. It was an opportunity to interface with the CEO, CFO, and treasurer of a you know Fortune 500 company. And I think that was big, you know, was big and unique in its own way that made it kind of interesting. As far as when you're at school, you know, I think particularly if you're in finance, I, I think that, you know, having an accounting, set of accounting background helps a lot. And I remember when I was, it was in my first semester, second semester, I can't remember, someone came back to Owen, uh, a former student, and they asked her, you know, what she wished she would have done more of when she was in at Owen. And she said, I wish I would have taken more accounting classes because that's the biggest struggle I have. I tell you, you know, everything you do, at a certain level, does rely on accounting, and it's the dry, driest sometimes discipline to kind of pick up. But it, I, I, I listened to to what she said, and I took as many of the accounting classes as was offered. I think I took two semesters of tax and the two semesters of accounting that were available at that point. I think I took internal audit as well, and it was the best decision I ever made. I, I, I had a, a at least a base level of understanding of things that were being talked about. That I think if I hadn't gone through all that, I would never know, uh, you know, what the heck they were talking about. So that'd be the one area of advice. Um, other than that, you know, obviously your internship's going to be, you know, somewhat important. And I, I would impress upon all the finance students to, to go look at you know, things that are not necessarily the ones that everyone else at the school are looking for. And because you know, sometimes it's the most unusual opportunities yield the best experience. Talking more about Owen now, there's a disproportionately high number of Owen graduates, yourself included, in either senior finance positions or senior positions in financial companies. Do you have any take or idea about why that might be? Well, uh, yeah, I'll tell you what. As in my view, I'll tell you this to be uh, <laughs> biased, <laughs> biased, but I would tell you that um, having hired uh, people from a number of different business schools, I think the people that get to senior levels, particularly within corporations, are people that are willing to work hard right out of the gate that, you know, you, you, you spend a lot of your business school career putting yourself in the shoes of a CFO or a CEO, and then you get out uh, in your first, you know, first few years in, uh, in the real world, you're not the CFO and CEO, you're not making those decisions, you know, you're just, you're, you're doing some piece of that work that helps the CEO or CFO make decisions. And, and uh, I found that in a lot of, of these business schools, I think they build up this expectation that you are going to be like some, you know, senior decision maker on day one. 
And then you don't get to be that, and then you get discouraged, and you kind of your work kind of shows for it. And I feel like Owen did a really good job, at least with me. I'm assuming uh, that's still the case. Uh, I think they they do a very good job of uh, you know, kind of teaching you good work ethic, and and just you know doing what you can to support the organization in whatever capacity that is necessary. And uh, and so I think that that's why those you know I, I, in general I think at the end of the day how you will do just in terms of career is about you know how much work you put into it and how much you're willing to take risks and go out and do different things and I just think Owen does a very good job of preparing people for that. Are there any other aspects of school that students should be taking advantage of during their time here? Well, look, you know, I think also it helps to be as well-rounded as possible. So, you know, like I said, I would I would take as many accounting classes as you can get away with. Uh, obviously, if you're, you know, in the finance concentration, then you take finance classes. But the beauty of Owen is it's got uh, a lot of different disciplines that, that you can, uh, you know, kind of learn from. And so I, I would take as broad a swath as you possibly can because I think the broader you are, you know, the, the better you are as a as a potential employee of any company. So that, that would be my my number one uh, recommendation. I think the other thing is it's just good to to network with your classmates. With believe it or not, there I have met with and interfaced with a lot of different people that I graduated with. Or, you know, within one year or so of me, and in in, in amazingly different ways. You know, we did a big bond offering for an acquisition I did when I was at ADI, and lo and behold, one of the guys I went to school with was a buyer of a lot of those bonds. <laughs> and I'm telling you, he, was, he bought a bit more just because he knew me. I mean, that was a big deal. There's, a, there's another guy that is in the M&A group at one of the competitors of, well, let's say, in the same industry as, as ADI was, and there were a couple of times where uh, you know the relationship with that company was, you know, slightly going off the rails and just picked up the phone and uh, called him and talked to him and lo and behold, we were back on the rails. So I think I would encourage you to network as much as possible uh, in the Boston area from Owen to the same. You know, we're all about trying to make this school uh, even more successful than it is. So we will do anything we can to help out. Uh, so I think I would encourage everyone to take advantage of that uh, whenever you know the situation arises. Do you have any advice for prospective students that are considering an MBA or other finance-related degree? You know, my story is I went to Carnegie Mellon. I got a kind of a broad business degree, but it was it had a kind of an engineering bent to it, I guess I'd say. Uh, and then I went into a financial institution and felt like I really didn't know much about finance, quite honestly. And I, uh, you know, I said, you know, shoot, I, I got to get around, get out there and learn more just with the basics of uh, a finance or I'm, gonna, I'm never going to make it. So that was my reason to go to, to business school from the beginning. And I, and I think that is absolutely, you know, as you're thinking about business, if, if you're in that mode where you're feeling like there's some piece of just, you know, whether it's finance or any discipline uh, that a business school would offer, you know, if you're feeling a little behind or just, you know, just not there yet, it's a great, I think, thing to do to really kind of get you up a whole nother level from from what you had when you were an undergraduate. As it relates to Owen, the, the thing I loved about Owen was I think that the, the school is incredibly aggressive in trying to make 
massive school, a prominent, you know, business school uh, globally. And I think you want that. You want somebody with a little bit of a kind of an edge to them, a little bit of a drive to them that really just, you know, kind of forces them to, uh, you know, to take it to the next level. And, and I think I got that out of them. And, and uh, you know, Nashville is obviously a beautiful place. I think, you know, we have built, certainly since I graduated in 96, a whole bunch of uh, kind of alumni in, uh, in, in all kinds of different industries at, at very senior levels uh, within, you know, large organizations and small organizations. And uh, I think, you know, prospective students will find it pretty satisfying not to get through the, the two-year gauntlet at Owen, uh, you know, what's available for them uh, as a Thank you so much for taking the time this afternoon to talk with me. All right. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks to David for his time this week, and thank you for listening. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe to This is Vanderbilt Business or give us a review on the channel of your choice. You can find more stories and information about Owen by visiting our website, business.vanderbilt.edu, or following at Vanderbilt Owen on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. The views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of Vanderbilt University or the Vanderbilt Owen Graduate School of Management. Music provided by Mike Foster. I'm Nate Luce.